This week on a brand new and very final episode of Hello Ross, Rosie O'Donnell is here to say... Well, there was one story that's kind of embarrassing, but I'll tell you. Yep, that's right, gang. We are going out with a bang. Let's do this. And welcome to the program. Coming up, Rosie O'Donnell is going to be here. And it's so appropriate that she's going to be our final guest because, you know, we just have this cosmic relationship. Um, I'll get into that in, in a little bit. I love her so much. And um, I cannot wait to talk to her. But first, I, I want to talk to you. This is it. This is the final episode of Hello, Ross. You know, I started this um, in September. I wanted to go like on just a little journey. I uh, I knew it wouldn't be forever, but I just wanted to sort of like... Uh, do this thing where it was just me and a mic and you and, and uh, interesting people that pops by, you know, from time to time. And we had such great guests, you know, and I think really valuable conversations. I, I loved talking with them. Um, and then I loved when we opened it up, you know, when honestly booking guests became just too challenging and too time consuming and their schedule and my schedule and everything. And um, we started opening up and I loved getting the chance to talk to you all. That's not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing that on all my social media at Hello Ross across the board. But I, you know, with the Drew Barrymore show, which has just really taken off, you guys, you know, we are just ending season three and season four starts in the fall. And, you know, it feels so great that the show is being embraced like it is now. And then uh, I'm going on tour this summer. In addition to shooting the, you know, the other big show that I'm on, um, that we always shoot in the summer, Drag Race, I am going on tour across the country. My tour, I got you, girl. I'm going to 16 cities, uh, May, June, and July, and then you know it'll be this ongoing thing where while I'm shooting uh, the Drew Barrymore show, some weekends I'll you know pop to you know a theater, or a casino in Florida or Texas or Ohio or whatever, you know. I'll be all around. And at a certain point, you know, I just had to decide that some things had to go um, so I could focus on on other things. You know, you got to pick sometimes. And, um, you know, I'm never afraid to try something new. I'm never afraid to dip my toe in a, in a pool and say, oh, that feels good. Or and then, oh, what's over there? What's that pool? So just thank you. I want to thank you for um, coming along on the journey. Lots more for you and I. We're just getting started together. So thank you for trying this on. You know, it's like you're in the mall and you're like, that's cute. Should I get that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So thank you for trying this on with me. All right. And I have more specific thank yous I'll be given at the end of the episode. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about Rosie O'Donnell. I remember watching her when I was a kid. I would race home. I mean, I was like a teenager, you know, late 90s. And, and you need to understand if you are young or you live under a rock that her show was it, it, I mean, like she was beating Oprah in the ratings. She was beating Oprah at the Emmys. You know, she was it. She was what everyone was talking about. She was live every day. And I remember I would watch like Ally McBeal. And then the next day she would be talking about how she watched Ally McBeal. And I'm like, we live in the same world. And of course I knew we did, but I'm, as much as she was like part of the show business of it all, 
even though I was just in a farm town in Washington state and she was in New York city, I knew that I would know her. I knew it. Like I knew the sun would come up. I knew it. And I also knew one day I would be doing what she was doing. I knew it. Fast forward mm, 10 years, I guess, from that point. And I'm on the tonight show and she reaches out. She had seen me and we, of course, became friends. It took a while. I have to be honest with you before I forgot that it was Rosie O'Donnell and just became her friend. You know, I had to grow up into a man and she, and also like understand that celebrities were human beings too. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing, but it's, it has shifted in my head. Believe it. There are times that I'm like, Oh my God, but it has mostly it's shifted that it's just my friend, Rosie, you know, the person who FaceTimes me when times are good and times are tough. Um, and who I know that I can really rely on to be a friend, you know, and, and in a small, teeny, tiny, tiny little way, like a peer, but I mean, like, not really. What, what I mean by that is like, you know, she watches and she'll say, Hey, that was good. The way I see what you're doing, how you turn when the camera, when you toss to break and the camera goes, I see that, you know, where the camera is. And she's, she knows she's the best, you know? And so when she gives me a compliment, I'm like, I must be doing something. Okay. I must be doing something right. I value her opinion so much. And uh, I want to, you know, she, she has a brand new podcast called Onward. And I couldn't end our show without having her on because I always dreamt about sitting with her on the set of the Rosie O'Donnell show. That never happened. So this can happen, though. She can zoom in from her beautiful home in Malibu with the ocean behind her. She can zoom in and be my final guest here, our final guest here on Hello Roth. So when we come back, I get to talk. Oh, and God, I just got to tell you, we recorded this interview a couple days ago and I, oh my God, I'm so mortified. We picked a time to do it. And then I got on the train to come into the city. We have a house on Long Island and the apartment here. We And the trains were late. And then I had to get an Uber from the station and the traffic was terrible and I was running late and she was so fine with it. She's like, doll, take your time. Don't worry. I've got nothing to do. I was literally having diarrhea. Okay. It was like someone, is there Uber diaper? Because I need it. And someone just bring me, bring me a diaper wherever I am, because I will order a couple of those. I was losing my mind. Rosie O'Donnell agreed to do my podcast and I'm making her wait, you guys. And it wasn't like five minutes. It was a nightmare, but of course she was perfect about it. As you will hear when you join me mid panic attack and 29 minutes late to talk to the incredible, the iconic, the generous, the kind, the brilliant, my brilliant friend, Rosie O'Donnell. She's here after the break to say, hello, Ross. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. 
say this i don't recommend to everybody to ask somebody who you um just idolize to do you a favor and then be 15 20 minutes late and that's what 29 <laughs> 20 we rosie o'donnell hello hi honey and it's fine i had no plans for the day until three o'clock so we're good we're good okay in my defense i wasn't late the train was late and then i got here and the the computer wasn't but unacceptable i was thinking about you know i would watch you have like um like Bette Midler on. And can you imagine being like Bette Midler? Can you come on? And then being like, hey, Bette, you mind just hanging out 30 minutes? Yeah, yeah. yeah that was never. hard. I'm sorry. I know. That's hard to do. That's okay, honey. I'm fine. Uh, I've done it before. I remember one time we had a guest up at the radio house and something happened and we couldn't film it. And I don't remember. And it was okay. Susie Essman and I felt so bad. And oh, I, I love I, Susie Estman. I do too. She's so yeah. great. And it just was a big fuck up on my part. But well, thanks it for happens. It happens. It does. And it's worth, I hope it's worth the wait because I'm so happy to see you. And when I started this show, when I thought about who I wanted to have on, I mean, you're the number one. You're it for me. Oh, you know? well, here I am, honey. You just call me. I'll do it. And you are, are you're doing uh, Onward, your podcast. I am so into it, Rosie. You know, I told are you, you really? I really am. Yeah, we, we, we talked before you started it because I know you wanted to get in this podcast world. So what are you what you're like, what, four, three episodes in four episodes in now? I think I think we drop our fifth one, Brooke Shields, tomorrow. Ooh, oh, I can't yeah, wait. So we had Sharon Gless. Yes, I love that interview. Had, did you? I'm so happy. Well, because I love sharing glass and I love we had so much fun on the cruise, you, me and her. Yeah, I love her. And I love the story she told about starting this business and how there was like something that just she innately knew, you know, that it would happen for her. Did you feel that? Totally, totally. Like no backup plan kind of thing. Never had a backup plan. My father would always tell me, you know, doll, if uh, this doesn't work out, what are you going to do? You need to have something to fall back on. And I'm like, I have no plans on falling back, dad. No plans whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't want to have something to fall back on because I knew how difficult this uh, career choice was, even at the tender age of, you know, eight. Is that I when was... it was for you? That's when you knew? You know, I, I pretty much knew in kindergarten, like other people would bring in toys for show and tell. And I'd say, I'd not like to sing. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair from mm-hmm. Oklahoma, and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I would perform and um, I did all the plays in school. And, you know, we were lucky because in, in the year that the school was built and um, in the early seventies and the late sixties, there were so many kids, you know, around and there were uh, so many young teachers that it was their first teaching job. And they were very excited about being teachers. So every grade almost had a school play. And it was so wonderful as a kid to be able to to get on a stage and do that when I knew it was what I wanted to do always. Yeah, I really think that I had a little bit of that too growing up before they cut like all the arts, not to be all Mr. Holland's opus about it, but they did cut all the heart the arts everywhere. But I remember, you know, putting on a play in like fourth and fifth grade and being like, oh, like mm. the instant gratification of like the audience approval, you know, you put in the work and then you get the praise. Like that was a very easy problem, math problem for me to do. Totally. You know? And, and, and you found, you found your people. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. You found your people in the theater world for me. I mean, it was right away. I was like, I fit in with all these people. They love what I love. They have a worldview about music and theater and dancing and costumes and showbiz like I do, you know, yeah. and, and I find with Dakota now, my daughter, who's 10, who's on the spectrum, all she's all she's craving is to find that tribe, you know, I know. And don't her- you think about people that don't find it, you know, even like the oh, people yeah. who you, you say you knew when you were a kid sharing glass. I knew when I was seven or eight watching like, but there's people that know and, and, and don't get there. You know what that must that feel like to, to always now, they- I wonder, Ross, I yeah. wonder, do they know? Did they really know? Because know. you have to have such a certainty that no matter what anyone tells you, your first thought in your mind is, well, they're wrong because yes. this is what's going Like my teachers would sometimes say, you're too tough. The producers of of uh, Star Search told me I was too gay, even though they didn't use that word. You know, I was too New York and too tough and and um wise cracking or something, you know, they used all different kind of words back in 1984 when I was 22 and on star search. Um, but I never believed them. Yeah. You have to be delusional like that a little bit. Don't you? Is it? Yeah. Or is it delusion? I guess it's not delusion. It maybe you're the only one that believes it. To me, it's certainty. I had a certainty. Uh, Better word. uh, Yeah. No, no one can really talk me out of it. And, and, Sometimes young kids would come up to me and say when I was on my show, hey, Rosie, uh, what's your advice for me? I'm a young actor or a young stand up. And I say, I think you should quit. And some of them go, really? I go, it's so hard. It's like endless rejection. And I think you should quit. And they're like, well, you really do? Because I, I was going to go to get my master's degree in dental work or something, you know. And then I go, look, I saved you a life of misery. You, If I can convince you in one sentence that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. Did So people told you not to do it, like uh, the Star Search people, school, teachers. Was there anyone? No, in the no, biz- teachers. Teachers were wonderful to me. They were good. Oh, my Same. God. The teachers in school, the public school teachers saved my life, literally. Yeah, there's and, one teacher in particular you talk about all the time. Yeah, Pat Maravell. Yeah. She was my seventh grade math teacher and uh, amazing woman. She was 27 and I was, you know, a seventh grader. And it was her first time being a teacher. And my mom had died and uh, I ran away from school. And she was, you know, got involved in what happened to that girl who ran away. And no one could find her. I hid in the woods. It was a horrible situation. You hid in the woods, really? I hid in the woods and then I went to my neighbor's house and my neighbor's house was locked. So I broke in their downstairs and I hid in their basement. And then finally they, their phone kept ringing. So I ran upstairs and answered the phone. And it was, you know, my father who was driving around with my brother with a megaphone saying, Roseanne, come out wherever you are. You are not in trouble. <laughs> what were you hiding from? Um, I The teacher had said to me, where's your mother? And I didn't answer because I didn't know really that she was dead. I didn't really think she was dead. You know, I and so he said and it was two years since my mother died and half the kids in the class were from my elementary school and half were not. So some kids knew what was going on and some didn't. So he kept saying, Roseanne, please, what is your mother's phone number? I'm going to call your mother. And I wouldn't answer. Mm. And then little kid, the kids in the grade kept writing notes to each other. He doesn't know her mother's dead. And I saw the note and I ran. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. And then the greatest thing was we had this principal, Rena Bologna, 
I remember her name. And what a name. Yeah, Rena Bologna. Rena Bologna. And um, I wouldn't go back to school and my father couldn't make me go back to school. And this principal of the junior high school came to my house and told me about her mother dying when she was very young mm. and how she understood. And I was so not ready to hear that, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't even really get that that she was really gone yet. I was still, you know, if I if I picked up the phone and back in those days, remember, they would say, hey, is your mother home? And I would always say she's in the shower and then hang up because I didn't want to say that she was dead or Maybe I couldn't. My brain wouldn't allow me. You were what? What were you, 10 when she passed away? Yeah. 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 I remember when my mom passed, I got, and luckily, I mean, I was 40 years old, but you were one of the first person. Still hurts. Of, still hurts, honey. It does. Still hurts. You know, it's umbil umbilical. I heard uh, someone say that the other day, that it's umbilical, your your yeah. mother lose. And, and that to me was like a punch in the, oh God, because like, it's different, you know, and, and maybe it's because women are more nurturing not to be generalized. Something is different. You know, I lost my dad when I was 24 and the, it, it was different, both hard, but yeah. losing your mother. And I cannot imagine being 10 years old and trying to articulate to yourself what that is. You know, you don't have the tools, barely have the tools. At no, and it, and it wasn't, it wasn't at a time when there was no Oprah on, mm. there was no show on grieving and there getting was no feelings, talk in the, yeah. yeah. And the pop culture about, you know, emotions and how to deal and the ramifications of not dealing. Nobody was talking about mental health, although they did give all of us kids tranquilizers. Um, we drank. Um, oh, you're all the your brothers and sisters. Yeah, after she died, really, they gave us all this little stuff to drink, and uh, I, you know, that's what they the doctor told them to do, I guess. So, mm. you know, I don't know. I just remember it was a weird, uh, it was a weird kind of crazy kaleidoscopic view of what was happening in my life with loud music, and I wasn't really sure what was going on. You know, I think about. You just as I like have been your friend for a while and of course watched you and known you, but like it is like the the seismic event in your life, it feels like to me. Like that was the the first completely. 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 Yeah. Do you think you Yes, I would be a I would be a totally different person. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for that, I think. I think so too. I really do. Yeah. Do you and... get angry about that ever? I I get angry sometimes. I'm like, it's just not fair. It's not fair. Yeah, it you know, you can go through that. It's not fair, but boy. You know, I've had tragedy, but boy, have I had tremendous grace and luck. And, and you know, I, I really, I mean, honestly, I, I had a hard childhood and uh, I've had like a really unimaginably successfully beautiful adult life. And and I really, uh, I think it's more than equaled out. I, I, I got the lion's share of goodness in, in this in this thing you look back on called your life, you know. Yeah. And you're looking back. I know you're looking back and you're looking onward. That's sort of why you're doing the podcast now. I love that you, the reason you called it onwards, because this is like the third you're thinking as you're doing the math, like the third phase of your life. Right. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I was listening to Julia Louise Dreyfus's new podcast, which is so great. Is all that? talking to older women. It's called Wiser Than Me. And mm. she had Jane Fonda on and I was listening to Jane Fonda and she said the same exact thing. I might have read this in Jane Fonda's autobiography. And that's where I got the idea of mm -hmm. three chapters in your life, zero to 30, 30 to 60 and 60 to 90. If you're lucky, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you're lucky. So I really did feel that when I turned 60, that I wanted to 
acknowledge the fact that this was a seminal year for me and I needed to decide with my quality time left in my life what it is that I want to do and what it is that means the most to me. And, um, you know, I'd like to spend those 30 summers with my family and my good friends. And I'd like to realistically assess the time we all have left and make the best use of it that I can. So, so that's why I chose to do a podcast after trying to do a podcast for many years and never really being able to, to do it. I, I why not? You couldn't correct the, what you want to do, the code of it all. I never listened to them, Ross. Yeah. Never. <laughs> so yeah. I said I could do something that I had never even really entertained for, for my own enjoyment. You know, I mean, when, when I was doing stand up, I had watched a million hours of stand up on TV my whole life. When I did a variety show, a talk show, it was Merv. It was, I, I was marinated in that stuff. You know, obsession has worked for me. Mm -hmm. You know, my love for Streisand, my love for, for Bet, for Broadway, for Barry Manilow, for all the things that shape me into, into who I am. And, um, I don't know where that question started because I'm 61 now. Well, you know, like, you know, well, you're talking about doing the podcast. To me, it was a no brainer for you because I see you as some, I feel like a rosy observer. I, you know, I don't know why, but I feel <laughs> I've always had such a connection with you. You know, we, we kind of understand that because you had connection with people you watched, right? Well, listen, you, for one, when I saw you on the tonight show and I didn't always like the tone that Jay took with you, but I felt like a protective older sister or mother, you know, figure in your life. And felt like, you know, there's my little gay son and, uh, you know, let's honor and lift him up as much as we can. And, and, you and that's, do. I, you know, I loved you from the get go, honey. Well, same. And there's something about you. I think that you are, it's like such an intent for you to be here, such a purpose, like the way you connect with people. It's really, it is on your show through the lens, but then in real life. And then I see you even like, you're always on the forefront of technology when you were like, even during your show, you were like sort of conversing with people on AOL. Then you had a blog and then you were like, you know, I'm still barely figuring out TikTok, but you were there, you know, you're like a right, 2 million right. something because you engage there. There's something about you that is meant to engage with people and make connections. Do you, you find that to be true? So true. And it always was. And mm. in a way, fame took the joys of doing that away from me because I, I used to be able to go food shopping and, um, make the cashier laugh. Or when I would go get a mani-pedi, I would spend all my time entertaining the woman from Vietnam who I felt guilty that I was sitting there asking her to do my nails. And we became good friends, Kim from Kim Nails. And she taught me how to speak Vietnamese. And, um, and I just loved, it was part of my life and world and how I am in the world that I really loved. And then I got very famous. And instead of getting to observe and interact with the world, I became the observed Weird. and it really threw off my whole way of being. I totally you know? get that. Yeah. No, yeah. I was, ne I'm never your level, but I get that, you know, when you, it's almost, you start hiding because it's like, I don't want any more attention or something that you, do you lose well, the balance that? is off the balance is off, uh, you know, interesting. it's really severely off and, and, you know, life is a circle and, and we come back to ourselves. And so I love doing uh, a podcast where I can talk one-on-one -on -one with people in a non-rushed format where you can get hopefully a little deeper or a little, um, you know, more honest with, with your friends and, and the people that you're interviewing. 
Um, you know, I, I think that it's why I was here, what you said, to um, connect with people. And it's it's funny for me, even with all the fame that I had and and still have in some ways, but it's very, very changed. But when I would be like at the height of it all and my show was on and I'd be at Le Cirque for like Rita Wilson's birthday party and yeah. I'm sitting there with the Bruce Springsteen at the table and, you know, these big heavy Steve Martin and all their good friends and Marty Short and I are sitting next to each other. And if you ever have to be at a party like that where you feel like a little bit like, am I welcome here? Do I belong yeah. at this party? Marty Short is the best person to have next to you because he will make fun of everyone at the table <laughs> in a voice just loud enough for you to hear. And you will literally pee your pants while you're sitting there <laughs> watching him tell you something. Yeah. But uh, people would come up to me when I would be at an event like that and they'd have a couple drinks and they would never go up to the other people. And I'm not saying that I'm their stature in any way, but I'm just saying people feel like I'm the easy pass lane. Mm. So they can come right up to me and go, oh, my God, is that Bruce Springsteen right there? I yeah. go, yes, and he probably hear you. Now get back to your seat right away. You uh, know? Yeah. But they feel that there's a, a there's a way that they can access that world through me. Not like I'm necessarily that world, but that's okay because it I like okay. it. Yeah, but you you said something interesting when Sharon Glass was on Onward, your podcast, uh, which drops new episodes every single week. She was talking about how she was invited to this big Hollywood party when mm. by by I forget who it was somebody an, an older actor. I wasn't I forget. Yeah, you know, so, I know from uh, Naked Gun. Um, wasn't it Leslie Nielsen from it Naked was Gun? no, it was somebody else. Um, okay, but some anyway, big, yeah, big like Columbo or some TV yeah, show, yeah, Peter by, Falk right? or someone like that. Yeah. yeah, she said she she on a show she had never gone to a big Hollywood party, so he invited her and she told him she was busy because right. she was so nervous to go, she just felt like not being she wasn't part of that. Did you? You said, too, to her that when you would host the Grammys and things, you wouldn't even go to the after party because right. you felt like you had some imposter syndrome. Did you did no one ever tell you that you were Rosie O'Donnell that like you could go? Oh. Did it not? It just I, I like knew you... I could go. I knew I could go. But I, you know, I also knew, you know, I, I waited until I had a stable career and a lot of money in order to have children. So at 33, I had my kid. And the reason I took my talk show is because I didn't want to keep going doing movies like I had done Harriet the Spy when Parker was alive. And I had to get a nanny and a babysitter. And it was just a I wanted to be in New York where he could be raised with his cousins and his family. Mm. And um, so. My first focus was always on being a mom, mm. you know. So I, I don't think, uh, oh, I'm Rosie O'Donnell. Like, I, it doesn't. And Sharon Gless has that, too. And you know who else? Bette Midler doesn't think that particularly of herself either. Do you know who? And I'm not comparing myself to you guys, but I'm the same. I'm the same. I, I, yeah, I would so you much, should compare yourself. Well, I would. I understood when you said it because I, I get like, like, it's kind of fun to go to the zoo, but you don't want to live in the zoo. Right. Correct. Correct. Ross. That's exactly yeah. what a great little metaphor that is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I never really, you know, felt comfortable. I felt very happy that I was getting to hang with or, you know, but hosting the Grammys two years in a row in the Staples center in LA, that's a huge <laughs> freaking gig. It's a lot what of stress. Is- and I'd look out there and I'd see these like hard, rocky, 
kind of metal band guys thinking, oh, my God, they still scare me. You know, they just <laughs> yeah. like they scared me. Megadeth always scared me. You know, yeah, you're the one does. up there with the microphone, you know, right. in charge of it all. Right. Isn't and it interesting. was interesting. And then I would be calling Kelly, you know, my spouse at the time. I'd be like, how'd that go? Was it all right? She'd be like, yeah, it was funny. I, you know, you can't can't really hear too much. It's echoey. OK, I'll call you at the next commercial. <laughs> That's what I was doing backstage. <laughs> Isn't it so you know? important to have that whoever that is with your friend or your partner or something like tell you the truth like it was good. So you believe them when they say it was really good. You know what I mean? If they're like, well, no, you know, I mean, you never really believe yourself to be in the league of those people that you grew up admiring. I don't care who you are. I don't care what field you're in. If, if there's somebody who's the best baker in the world and you're a baker and you get to be in the presence and in the orbit, as I call it, of these people for however long you are, you're lifted by that, you know, yes. you're lifted, but you don't necessarily feel like one of them. Do you <laughs> feel like, cause I think you're like the best to ever do it. Do oh, you honey. feel, well, no, I mean, hello, I wasn't alone, right? Hello. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many Emmys did you win for that show? There's a reason, right? A lot, a lot. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. So, but are you able to receive that? Like in the middle of it, could you receive it when you look back on those, what was it, six, seven seasons? Would you receive it, feel it? You know, I kind of do now in, in memory, like the clips are being put up on YouTube. My nephew's mm -hmm. doing that for me, which is Fine. very sweet. And, um, you know, I really get choked up sometimes at, at some of the things that I've forgotten or, you know, my son will be sitting next to me and, and, and it'll be on YouTube and Blakey will say, Oh my God, you know him, Morgan Freeman. I was yeah. like, yes, I do. How could you know Morgan? Fre like he can't believe the people that I've met and that I know. And sometimes we'll be out and, and he will meet like, uh, especially rappers, like he'll meet a, like 50 cent or, mm -hmm. um, and they'll come over and I'll say, hi, Curtis, and give him a kiss and talk. And they walk around. My kids are like, what the, how do you know? You know, and I don't know how to explain, honey. I knew everybody when I did that job. It was your job to know everybody, yeah. you know? I think about you um, back then a lot because in some weird way, and it's, I think it's one of the, 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 um, the reasons I was always drawn to you, it's like some, some connection we have because right. You're living out in Los Angeles right now. Yeah. And you know, so I now have a house on Long Island, like two exits from where you in Comac. Not even that's where we, that's yeah. where we went to hang out. Comac didn't have any bars. We went to Huntington to hang yeah. out. I, and... I went to your, uh, to, to the home goods in Comac yesterday. Come right? on. That was our home goods. That is so crazy. And so now I do the Drew Barrymore show here. Which you're great on, and she's adorable and authentic, and I love her. Thank you. I want you to come on because that would be full uh, 360. I will come on anytime you want. Thank you. I will make that happen in season four. But I'm walking. So I take the train in from Long Island, and then I just bought an apartment here on on uh, in, on the Upper West Side, right? Mm -hmm, nice. And I all I think that it's the size of a shoebox is really That's small. Okay. But, but I walk around and I take the train, and I'm like, I'm living. I, in, in, like where you grew up and I'm like I'm yes. walking these streets thinking like god is this where she lived and like went into the Rosie O'Donnell show where I would watch her like can you tell me what a day was like back then for you like where did you live what it, where were you I lived on 1965 Broadway which is like 65th right by Tower Records above the Tower Records okay did you live there mm -hmm. you did right, right my I live right around there mm -hmm. okay so I lived there with Kelly and we had three children at the time. And 
we had a big, very long hallway because it was like two apartments had been put together. So it was like a runway that the kids love. They could run up and down all day. And I got up at like six in the morning and got to the show uh, by 630. And I would bring a kid or two, put them in the daycare and and go with my meetings. Uh, The daycare was in on our floor part of the um but that was by choice you you made that happen right yes i did i love this ahead ahead uh, of your time i had to have it because i i didn't you know i'd know where to bring them and i wanted to see them so uh they were there every day which was a a huge huge bonus for me and for the kids that got to be in it it wasn't big enough to take everyone's children but we did have a wonderful daycare set up there and um and then we'd go live at 10, we'd do the meetings, they would prepare, the producer would come in and tell me, here's the stories I got out of the guest, here's what happened, and remember that her mother died, and um, and you haven't seen her since she had a baby, it's her second baby, you know, they would pre- prepare you. And brief you on everything. Brief right? you on everything, and then we'd do it live, right at 10 till 11, and I would perform all the way through the commercials, just stand up and talk to the audience with Joey Cola, our um, warm-up who's a, guy. Who's our warm-up guy, Joey Cola. He's I the best him. warm-up guy there is. I he's love the best him. guy there is. Yeah, he's there on lovely, Drew. Lovely, lovely man. Do you know on my desk, on the Drew show, I have a little thing with pens and whatnot, and in the that little holder is a koosh ball and a koosh ball launcher from your show that he gave oh, me. Oh, wow. So every wow. day I, I feel like I have you out there with me. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. You're great on it. I think that I think it was a big help to have her have someone with levity and to sort of help move it along a little bit. And, you know, she's so in her feelings and so in her uh, in the in the best way, in the way that you remember her when she was a little kid, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. just sort of out there and 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 alive like a flower child, you yeah. know, which is her company, right? Flowers, something flower, or, yeah, flower, it, uh, flower yeah. beauty, flower productions, and because she is so honestly, I got to tell you, she I didn't know her before this, um, and she's exactly that. That is not put on. She is so kind at and all, good, and like you know, I've been twenty two years now in this business. You know, it can be rough sometimes. You know, especially when you're someone like yeah. me who's like who comes in sometimes, not everybody likes that. Somebody, you know, pe- mm. people keep you in your place, right? She doesn't right, do right. that. She really lifts lifts you up and like is so authentic. It's so good, you know, it's, it's real. Um, it's really I think that's the most be. important thing about a show like that is to be your authentic self. Yeah. That's your only real job is mm. to listen and react honestly and be present you know, have a conversation, just sit and talk with some people. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard as people age. It's hard as people, you know, you want to serve up the people that you're inviting as best as you can. You know this, you do it. And, you know, I want it to be as great for them as I can make it, you know, yeah, and make them them shine. And but you talk about being yourself. That's the key to daytime, right? And so I I think think so. I think so, too. And you were so good at like sharing you know, the most relatable parts of you, but there was like, you know, you couldn't be gay on television back then. Then there weren't That's people right. doing it. Was it, is your live on TV? I think about it now because I, I don't have to have a screen up, right? If, if someone asked me about my personal life, I talk about my husband and it's not because I'm powerful enough to do it. It's because people came before me and did it, you know, That's you were, right, honey. you did yes. it. And so, and for before me too, 
Yeah. People came before me and did it and kicked down the doors that I walked easily through. And, and so, you know, as you get to another door, you kick it down for the next people. And that that's sort of how it goes. And, but how um, hard was it? What was it like always having a little bit of guard up a little bit of don't say, don't say my, don't say Kelly, don't say, you know, well, you and, know, what's so funny is that it was never mentioned. Like you have to realize that I went and did that show and sat down with Warner brothers and told them I was gay. Before they signed on. Yes. They were paying me $5 million to do a pilot. And I said, um, I want you to know before you spend this money that I'm a gay person and I don't imagine that I'm going to come out. I want to use my power to help kids in need. And uh, so I don't imagine I'll ever do that. But I wanted to tell you because I didn't want you to invest all this money and feel like I had a secret or something that would make me of less value to you as a corporation. And, and this is what in like 95. So everybody listening, you have to think about there was nobody out. There was no will no. and grace. There was no. no these stories were not being told. Correct. And no one even asked me in an interview in, in my entire career. And, you know, I started doing stand up or I was started being on television when I was 22. So no one in my career besides Patrick Pacheco, who is the author of the new Cheetah Rivera memoir. Interesting. He was writing for Helen Gurley Brown for Cosmo. And we were on the road about to open in Greece on Broadway. And he asked me if I was dating anyone. And I said, no. And he said, what would the qualifications be? I said, all, all comers can apply or something. And he said, could it be a woman or a man? I said, could be anyone. Well, my publicist, the legendary Lois Smith, who was Marilyn Monroe's publicist, called up Helen Gurley Brown herself at her own bequest without asking me and had that taken out of the piece mm. before it even. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it was a different world back then. I didn't worry because it wasn't part of the culture to talk openly about homosexuality yet. So your life in, in your normal life, right. Was like, you'd go out with your, your partner at the time after you did the show, but there was, and, but then you go on the air, there was never anyone that like threatened you. Like we're going to tell this nope. or nothing. Well, there was one story that's kind of embarrassing, but I'll tell you my uh, the okay. first year, first year we were on my manager, Bernie young came into my office and said, uh, Rosie, did you ever do any, uh, film, sexually uh, explicit film. I said, what are you talking about? He said, there's a, a person who's trying to sell a video of you in a lesbian dominating S&M sex film. And I got a copy of it and I watched it and it looks like you. And I said, Bernie, what are you out of your goddamn mind? Well, the FBI was involved because oh. these people were trying to sell it, right? So the FBI went and got the copy and, and met in a van in a hotel. And it was a whole sting operation. And finally, when it was over and the people got caught and it wasn't me, I put the tape in and I looked. It is my doppelganger. What? I literally saw it, Ross, and went, oh, my God. It looked exactly like me when I had the like David Cassidy long shag. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, like in the in the eighties, or you know, when I did Star Search, like yeah, yeah, 80s. yeah, yeah. And I um, love that hairdo, by the way. I loved it. Oh, I thought it was so hot. Was my my Wait, shag. Did it turn? Like, were you were you any good? <laughs> well, I I didn't watch it all. I was so you know. I mean, listen, it, it was oh my not God. my thing about uh, you know dominatrix yeah. S and M. It wasn't my uh, 
you know, my choice to watch. But I was so thrown that I like, no wonder they tried to sell it. I would have yeah. tried to sell it if I was <laughs> down on my luck and thought, <laughs> look, at I got Rosie O'Donnell here and a motorcycle and some oh sex toys. God. But wow. it all went it all went away and it never got published that like, you know, never was a story in the Inquirer. Or Did you look like you and exit to Eden? Is it very much? Yes. Like kind yeah. of like that. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. That's what it was like right around that time. And yeah. but the funniest thing was Bernie, this guy who I knew since I was like 20 years old, who booked me on the road when I was a young comic. Mm -hmm. He's known me my whole life, would say to me, did you do a porno? <laughs> And I'm like, there's a lot of things you could accuse me of, but that is not one not of them. Can you imagine? Like, even there's some people are filming everything all the time. People, you know, celebrities' phones getting hacked into. They all have a nude picture of me does not exist anywhere. Yeah. I, I yeah. can't think of anything more terrifying. Yeah, I, I think that um, people are really way too casual about that. And I try to talk to my children about it all the time and say, be careful because yeah. somebody that you're dating now is not going to have your back all the time if you don't end up together necessarily. So be careful. just be careful, kids, yeah. because I can't imagine what it's like for them to grow up in a world of spontaneous porno with one click, you oh, know? Oh my God, nightmare. It's my, it's my word. That, that and a rat climbing up my toilet are my worst nightmares. You know, I have the snake in my toilet nightmare. Terrible. Have you, there was an article we did on the Drew's News. There was someone found a snake in their bed, a full size like cobra mm. or whatever in their bed. And then there's a new rat czar here in New York. That have you I heard, heard about, about this? I heard about that. And people are sharing their, their rat horror stories of like rats coming up the toilet. And I, I can't sleep at night now thinking yeah, about that. Yeah, I would put a metal grate or a screen I would drill it into the toilet because yeah, we'll I worry about the bathroom part to... later. We'll just worry. So, about so it. they go through the tubes and they come up in your bathroom, up the app, up the toilet and crawl out. And then the I'll send you this this New York Times article that is the most oh. terrifying thing as, as New Yorkers share their rat stories. Well, you know, people don't realize if you don't live in New York, if you've never really been there, just how much of a problem it is. I mean, there's horrible stories uh, about child abuse, about mothers in, in poor parts of New York having to put cages, laundromats on top, double laundromats on top of their kids and they're sleeping in the crib so a rat won't bite them. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's horrifying. It really <sighs> is. The, Do you the miss rat New York? <laughs> I don't miss the rats. I can tell you that. But, I don't um, see that many rats up here. I'm telling you. But no. is there anything about you that misses? Yes, I miss. I miss my children so much. Blakey just left and his fiance. And I miss Parker. I miss Chelsea. I, I miss Viv, you know, but I'm here uh, doing what I did for them when they were little with Dakota, which is yeah. focusing on on getting them as as stable as they can be educationally before they go off into the world. And, you know, Dakota has autism and it's a superpower and it's a, a, a wonderfully, um, wonderfully adventurous way to, to live in a family with someone who is so uh, tuned into other things. Like, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love being the mother of, of an autistic child. And And some people I know have it much harder, but for me, it's been a challenge and and the biggest joy that I've ever had. Well, I think, you know, I see you with her and I've seen you with with your kids. It's it's that what we talked about. It's that connection, that thing. You're you're it's I think it's your purpose, Rosie, to connect mm. like that. And I see I see you doing it with her. I also see you connecting with nature as you've chosen to spend the past few years like literally in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, pretty in, much. In Malibu. Um are you yeah, gonna it's stick gorgeous. Are you, you gonna know, stick I'd, around listen, there? 
I would love to stay here, but Dakota really wants a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Now, I went and looked in Pacific Palisades because that's a neighborhood cl- kind of close by. But in a dream world, I would be able to retire on the beach like I am now. But for right now, we're, we got a place in Santa Monica that we're renting for a year. And at the end of that year, we're going to figure out, OK, where is it that we want to go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't really uh deny her her request of wanting neighbors and friends and a trampoline and a pool. I get it. She's 10 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. and she's constantly wanting to meet other kids who are on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And she's very, very, very attached to a YouTube show called BFDI battle for dream Island. And they announced on the weekend, Ross, that they're having an experience in New York and in uh, Los Angeles in June and July, where you get to meet the animators from this series that she loves. It's three men. I've seen her talk about this on your TikTok. Oh my God. But yesterday it was as if she won the lottery of life. She was screaming at the top of her lungs. And I'm like, we're going. Well, because if if they had like a Barbara Streisand convention when you were 10, you know, you would have lost your mind too. So I hope I would have lost my mind. She got it. We caught, we, I didn't get the VIP thing because it sold out in 15 minutes and I was on 20 minutes, but I wrote to them because I know them because I bought all the merchandise I can for her because she won't wear anything else to school. Cute. She'll only wear the animated characters Aww. from that. And so when I said to her, um, we're going, she said, I'm going to bring my phone so I can meet friends and get their phone number. <laughs> it's so it's so great, Rosie, that you are doing so, so well and you're happy and that you're you're where you need to be right now. You know, and yeah. I lo- that's why I love listening to your podcast, because the whole idea of it, the, the hook, if you will, people always know what you know, what's the hook, right? What's the hook? The hook is, you know, how do we move on? What is next for us? You know, knowing what we know now armed with this life experience, how are we choosing to go onward? And I love that conversation. And just as somebody who has like observed you from afar and up close and is so grateful to know you, I just, I can't wait to see what's next for you. Well, thank you, honey. And the same with you. I've watched you, you know, since your career started on The Tonight Show and to see how well you're doing, it really makes me happy. And also to see what a wonderful man you've grown into, Ross. It really does. You know, your mother, I know, is watching down and she was proud of you and loved you so much. And, you know, she's still watching, honey. And I think that that's something that is going to carry you along. What a great relationship you got to have with her. I, I did. And I, I think, um, thank you for that. And I think yours is watching too, your mom, you know, yeah. and I, I believe it. I really yeah. do. Maybe they're hanging out up there playing solitaire or <laughs> canasta or something. I don't know. I hope so. Listen, I, love, I you. love you very much. You're a great guy. Don't forget it. Thank you. You're the best. And thanks for, um, not being, uh, mad I'd be, for you. Yeah, I can't I'm be furious. How dare you, Ross, dare. your electricity went out. Everybody no, listen. L- listen to, to listen to onward everywhere. You get your podcasts, Rosie, I'm going to yes. give you the last word. You're going to say something. It's all you. I was going to say, get me booked on that Drew Barrymore show. Come on, Ross. I'm Make on a it. call. All yeah, right. Season four. You're going to be there. I can't wait to all see right. you again. I love you. Thanks. I love you too. Well, I hope you loved that conversation with Rosie as much as I loved um, having that conversation with Rosie. And every conversation, I leave just sort of better. You know, I just, I leave every conversation with her smarter, wiser, happier. Then I went into it because um, I still can't believe I know her. And I just have always been drawn to her in that cosmic way. 
So thank you, Rosie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everybody, please listen to her podcast onward. I think you will love it. And any sort of void that you'll feel from Hella Ross leaving, you will get back in spades and triple, double, quadruple um, by listening to her podcast onward. She is so good at what she does. Um, a big thank you to everybody who's helped everybody at the Cumulus Westwood One um, company who has been so kind and so flexible with this podcast. I want to thank Teresa and John, Lou, uh, the other John. Thank you so much um, for these are the people behind the scenes that, you know, sort of workshop and help and are uh, help with the editing and and the content and all of it. I just want to thank you all for um, for you know, you're the best of the best for a reason. So thank you. Thank you for being so understanding. A big thank you to my husband, Wellington, who's the best support system ever to my team. There's a lot of you that I get to work with, um, who are so supportive and kind, but mostly, okay. It's about you and me audience. Thank you for showing up and listening. Thank you for following me on social media. Thank you for watching the, the shows that I'm on. Thank you for, um, coming to see me live. I cannot wait to get out there on the road. Um, I Got You Girl starts May 11th. That's my stand-up tour, stand-up and so much more. I do about 45 minutes of stand-up up there. And then I come into the audience, we play games and every show is different because of that. I cannot wait. Starts May 11th in Huntington. And then I'm going everywhere across the country. Go to my website, helloross.com. See if I'm coming to your area and get your tickets fast. Thank you for going on this journey with me beyond. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, you know, who knows what's next? All I know is that I'll be doing it with you. So for the very last time on this podcast, bye-bye. Hey, it's me, Ross Matthews. Thanks so much for listening. It means a ton. Make sure you like us, give us a good review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on video at Cumulus Podcast Network on YouTube. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.